Hi there and welcome to another Oslo podcast from the 22nd annual ANZIC CTG meeting held in the beautiful town of Noosa Heads in Queensland, Australia. On today's podcast I'll be chatting to Ed Litton to talk about his presentation on NOTAX, the nasal high-flow oxygen therapy after cardiac surgery study. Ed, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Todd. Thanks for having me. Ed, what are the benefits of high-flow oxygen therapy? Uh, Well, Todd, I think outside of cardiac surgery, there's reasonably high-quality evidence uh, of its effectiveness in reducing pulmonary complications. Uh, So there's, you know, some fairly large pivotal trials, you'd say, that both in low-risk patients, it reduces your risk of reintubation, and the high-risk patients, when they're being extubated, uh, it certainly reduces the risk of reintubation and adverse outcomes. So I think outside of cardiac surgery, this is, you know, reasonably high-quality evidence that it's of benefit in our patients at the time of extubation in an intensive care unit. So why study it in cardiothoracic surgical patients? Well, um, I guess the short answer is that this is a fairly specific group of patients with fairly specific needs. And uh, on the one hand, it, it may be beneficial, but defining the group of patients for whom it's most likely to be beneficial is important. And maybe this is only anecdotal, but certainly there's a risk of treatment creep where the, the treatment is applied to more and more patients without evidence of its benefit. And so um, who are the group of patients in whom it is effective in improving post-operative outcomes and who are the patients in whom it should uh, maybe be avoided. Um, so I think it's important because on the one hand, uh, if, if it is beneficial, then we should be applying universally. On the other hand, if it's not an effective therapy, then clearly we shouldn't be um, employing it. So providing definitive evidence uh, to support its use in cardiac surgery is important. And pulmonary complications after cardiac surgery are common and they're associated with prolonged ICU and hospital length of stay and increased mortality. So reducing those is important. And cardiac surgery, there's over 12,000 cases done each year in Australia alone. Uh, there's over 100,000 uh, in Europe and America. So we're talking about a lot of patients worldwide. Ed, your study is looking at patients who are defined as high risk of pulmonary uh, post-operative complications. How did you define who you believe are going to be those high-risk patients? Yeah, so Todd, it's probably important, very important to say, you know, this really um, is a study that's been generated out of the UK, uh, led by Andy Klein and his team. He's a cardiac anaesthetist at Papworth Hospital. So he has done Uh, all the work in um, piloting, developing this, and has had it funded in the UK. And Andy and his team approached us in Australia to provide an Australian arm to his study. Um, So it's kind of, it's always better to be in the circle, and we're very grateful to him to sort of uh, provide the offer to participate in it. Andy defined high-risk, at high-risk of post-operative pulmonary complications based on his pilot work. But what we've done in Australia is use the Australian New Zealand Cardiothoracic Database, which is the national registry, to look at how those criteria apply to our patients in Australia. And what we find is that over 30 of 30% of patients having cardiac surgery fulfill those high-risk criteria, which are either severe obesity or pre-existing um, lung problems. 
and that those patients, that actually does identify a group both at increased risk of prolonged ICU stay, prolonged mechanical ventilation effect, substantially increased risk of mortality. So we feel very confident that this is an important problem in Australia for which there's an identified high-risk cohort which matches the eligibility criteria for no tags and that their outcomes are worse than we would like. So can you tell us what the, the protocol will be for the study? Yeah, so uh, what we anticipate is uh, uh, we're hoping about five or six uh, reasonably high-volume cardiac surgical centres in Australia, and a number have already put up their hand, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. Um, and we would consent patients prior to cardiac surgery, uh, and then um, if they once they're admitted to the ICU postoperatively, if the treating clinician believes that uh, participation was in their best interest, then they'd be randomised. And they'd be randomized to, at the time of extubation, either extubation directly onto high flow of at least 40 liters, 40 to 60 liters, and the FI2 titrated to achieve saturations of uh, over 92%, or usual care. And we believe usual care in this situation is a Hudson mask. So it's for those patients in whom the clinician would otherwise be extubating onto a Hudson mask as part of usual care, but who they feel there might be benefit of high flow because they've got those uh, preoperative risk factors that we spoke about earlier. So I should say that so then the, they're extubated onto high flow and the high flow group, and they, they need to stay on that for at least 16 hours of the first 24, whether they remain in the ICU or not, and we don't define really anything about how long they need to stay, but simply that if they went to the ward before 16 hours, they would go with their high flow. What are the endpoints that you'll be looking for specifically? Um, the primary outcome of the, of the trial is days alive and at home um, and to, to day 90. And that's, that's a, I think, a great outcome measure because it incorporates not only mortality but also time in hospital. And Andy, Andy Klein, as part of his work for this, did some really interesting stuff around asking consumers patients who've had cardiac surgery or were going for cardiac surgery, what really mattered to them. And really the strong message was it was the time required to get back to their own bed in their own house. So I think Andy's come up with a great primary outcome measure that is clearly important to clinicians. It's important to policymakers and hospital administrators, but probably most importantly, it seems to be very, very important to patients and consumers who have cardiac surgery. With me on the podcast today is Dr. Ed Litton to talk about the NOTAX trial, which is looking at the role of high-flow nasal oxygen therapy after cardiac surgery. Just a reminder that you can find a huge range of great podcasts just like this at our website, found at osla.force.com. And while you're there, you can check out our module on high-flow nasal oxygen therapy. Ed, will you be looking specifically at post-operative complications? And if so, how will these be defined? Uh, so there's a well-established, um, validated list for post-operative pulmonary complications and their breakdown. Um, so we'll be looking at that. I mean, the pragmatic side of that generally is that a post-operative pulmonary complication that doesn't increase your mortality or increase your length of stay um, probably is not particularly significant, but we will capture the breakdown of those. And the other really important thing we do, which sort of speaks to 
the, the scope of high flow and its potential creep is, is a very detailed cost effectiveness analysis, which is in fact a, like a co-primary uh, endpoint. So the cost effectiveness of this therapy, particularly um, in Australia, which may be different to the UK, um, will be looked at in some detail. Now, one of the interesting things about the study, Ed, was that um, the number of, um, of recent trials, I guess, have adopted the same uh, approach, which is to adaptively recalculate sample size based on an interim analysis. Can you explain what would happen in that regard? Yeah, so look, you, um, every trial requires calculation of a sample size, and that is always based on some assumptions. Uh, in this case, Andy's assumptions are conservative and they're based on his pilot randomized control trial where he got a point estimate of the effect size and a confidence interval around that. But of course, it clearly, you know, that was a single center study. So, you know, it makes some assumptions about the generalizability of those findings to other sites and there's a confidence interval. So one of the great things about building in an adaptation like the sample size calculation is that whilst you go along, without losing power, you built in the capacity to increase your sample size if your assumptions didn't prove to be accurate. So in this case, the trial uh, is powered um, with a sample size of about 820 participants, but has capacity to, it'll, that'll be looked at after 300 patients have been randomized. And if those underlying assumptions mean uh, and often the case in all trials that either baseline event rate is lower or something else is slightly off, then it's got capacity to increase. And that's, that's the way that's built into the protocol. And um, as you say, it's becoming more and more common, but provides that sort of degree of reassurance that uh, the trial hopefully will provide definitive answers and won't be left hanging at the end. Ed, whereabouts are you up to in progress towards the commencement of the trial? And if if sites are interested in participating, how do they uh, how do they do so? Um, so we're waiting for the MRFF International Trial Collaboration uh, grants to open the next round. So we're thinking that will come reasonably soon. So we have a, I think a, a pretty advanced uh, grant proposal now and group of investigators. Um, I, I've. I'm, I have no experience in this area, but what I'm really, what sort of spoke to me uh, after Andy got in touch was um, the indigenous aspect. So, you know, like indigenous patients are overrepresented in our intensive care units um, as, as they are often in many areas of medicine because of major challenges with um, their health um, and um, it, it strikes me that in cardiac surgery that when we look at the database, although uh, indigenous people have, are overrepresented with respect to risk factors for cardiac surgery, they're in fact underrepresented in the database, and um, which means that for whatever reason, um, fewer indigenous patients appear to be accessing cardiac surgery than perhaps um, should be given its sort of life uh, lengthening qualities. So one of the aspects of this that is really of interest to me, although I have to stress I have absolutely no expertise in the area, is really trying to uh, delve a little bit more into the impact uh, in Indigenous people. Uh, and so we've made some 
preliminary, uh, we've reached out to try and collaborate with some indigenous groups uh, and the indigenous research group at the George Institute has been very, very helpful in providing some advice on that. And what we're really hoping is to uh, collaborate with centers who uh, do a large proportion of indigenous uh, cardiac surgery and also groups outside of cardiac surgery per se that have an interest in um, indigenous health in general and indigenous cardiac health in particular. And if units are interested in participating, are you uh, entertaining new yeah. units at the moment or are you still in a, yes, a preliminary look, phase? Yeah, no, no, uh, I'd love, love to hear from any unit that um, uh, might be interested in participating that can um, send me an email or uh, give me a call. Either one is fine by me. And we'll list those contact details on the uh, podcast details so that they'll be able to get in contact with you. Ed, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast and uh, good luck with the upcoming trial. Really appreciate your time, Todd. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. For more great interviews just like this, visit our website at osla.force.com.